Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep extracts from Adam's Diary by Mark Twain. This is first published in a very weird place. Uh, a book called The Niagara Book, first published in 1893. I think uh, most people probably got their hands on it in uh, 1904 or a later edition. Um, the reason I say it's a kind of a weird thing is, and, and it sticks, he didn't revise it really. Um, it was a gift book, uh, I assume available at the gift shop at Niagara Falls. Um it's full of all sorts of things about Niagara Falls, like uh, other. Uh, there's some poetry, I think, in there. There's uh, some natural history, but the main thing that attracted me to it, of course, was it's got a Mark Twain in there. And I, I think about how uh, every once in a while, the, some of my favorite writers of today would have some very obscure publication, and that would make me seek it out. Like, uh, for example, Neil Gaiman has an essay about libraries hidden inside uh, the game uh, called SimCity. What you do is you sort of click on the library in the game, and then there's a button there that says Ruminate. And then you click on that, oh, and it's a, a just a fun little essay that uh, Neil Gaiman wrote about ruminating on the idea of libraries. And it's a wonderful essay, but the, I, and I'm sure it's been collected since. But uh, it was like a, a very obscure book, or a very obscure piece of um, I don't know media in which to get an essay from Neil Gaiman. So every once in a while, there's they are there are these things. There was an essay by or a, a short story by Douglas Adams called "Young Zaphod Plays It Safe." It was published in I think a charity book. Um, so, uh, Finding Mark Twain had written this originally as a sort of a promotional material for a gift shop book <laughs> makes it quite strange. On the other hand, it he uh, it, it, you can see those bones of it in the story in later editions. He didn't take them out, but it explains a lot about why the story is the way it is, um, and that uh, it's also tied together with a. Uh, another book called, is it called, um, it's not Extracts from Eve's Diary, but it's something like that, right? I you, think it's called Eve's Diary. Yeah, maybe it's just but, Eve's Diary. And there are actually, I think, three or four different uh, pieces that Twain published uh, connecting all of this up. Mm -hmm. um, so, but they fit together perfectly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I first read it years ago um, as a single book, although you could the, the, the single book was divided into what I now know were previous uh, publications, mm -hmm. and it moved me a lot. I loved it. It's really, it's really fun, and it's also, I think it's full of uh, some human insight. And he's talking about some very basic stuff here, but w one of the things that's interesting about it is that in its later publications, it it can get quite long. So. The original extracts from this Niagara book, uh, it runs a few pages. It runs from page 93 to page 109. But a later edition, uh, the 1904 edition, which is also available for everybody to peruse, and I, I do suggest you do that, 
fully illustrated runs 109 pages, I think it is. It's, it's, I have it as 94. Oh, but... 94. Okay, yeah. That, I'm getting that number from the last page of the Nagger book. It's, it's, a, it's a slim volume, but fully illustrated uh, with <laughs> some, I think, enhancing little jokes, visual jokes generally. Um, but I was thinking how much this, <laughs> this whole piece reminds me of like really good stand-up. <laughs> stand-up comedy because he's it's like he went to a show in niagara like he, he was gonna guest in niagara he looks at the audience every he knows everybody there is or like he, he went to las vegas and he knows everybody there is on vacation in vegas so they're from elsewhere but he can make jokes about las vegas right because <laughs> they're all there they all get it he goes to niagara and he does this kind of the same thing but he 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 also talks about you know men and women and marriage and kids and and how women are and how men are it's very much a stand-up routine but it's it's got all this extra resonance because (laughs) it's about uh adam from the bible (laughs) and seeing things from his point of view it's it's pretty hilarious i i've read it a few times i've listened to it a few times i'm still chuckling at some of the jokes like (laughs) read it again i'm like that's really funny um, for those who have not read uh, the first book of the Bible where uh, Adam shows up, um, would you care to describe the plot? <laughs> Actually, I'd like to say something before that, sure. Jesse. Um, your characterization of this book may be right. Um, it's, not, it's not exactly mine, but it may be that my, my reading of this was colored by having such a vivid memory of reading the whole of the sequence put together. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the story um, in, in Genesis is that, uh, you know, Adam is created. Uh, he uh, is forbidden to eat from the two trees, um, one of knowledge and one of life. Um, Eve is created. Uh, the, sa- uh, the serpent tempts her to eat the... Uh, fruit of the tree of knowledge, saying that indeed when she eats of it, she shall not surely die, which is true. She doesn't surely die. God has to decide that death comes into the world at that point. Uh, But God says, uh, lest thou eat also of the tree of life and become as one of us, uh, meaning knowledge and immortality, uh, he casts Adam and Eve out, and where they have Cain and Abel. And that leads to trouble. The consequence of the fall, the fall from Eden, is childbirth, labor, and death. So Eve is involved in all three of those. Adam is involved, I suppose, in terms of impregnation. <laughs> but um, but the, the labor that we see in Genesis, uh, Abel's labor, is uh, raising animals. Cain's labor is raising uh, vegetable. He's a a farmer, not a herder. And uh, God uh, looks kindly on Abel's sacrifice of the lamb. Um, Cain gets jealous and kills him. So uh, we don't know that. I mean, that's not referenced in Twain, but the problem between Cain and Abel and what they will be lurks here. Clearly, Twain expects us all to know that Mm -hmm. story. When I read the book the first time, which includes now what we're looking at, 
um, I, I saw, as this shows, um, that that both Adam and Eve speak with a certain kind of delicious naivete. <laughs> yes. So th- there's a there's an irony here, and I can see why you would call that a stand-up routine. But as each speaks in their diary, they make observations about the world, as a stand-up comic typically would. But for me, what is most memorable is that they begin literally from nothing and they come to understand each other. Their initial um, relationship is halting and standoffish. And then once death comes into the world, um, it is uh, troubled. And yet, ultimately, they cling to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, in this one, the extracts of Adam's diary, which was the original publication of all of them, um, it ends after all of these funny things, and they are very funny. I'm sure we're going to get to some of those. Uh, um, it ends this way: um, ten years later, right? it's after they've been cast out and so on. They are boys. Uh, Adam has finally figured out that these little things that, you know, he goes hunting, he comes back and Eve says, look what I found, you know, and uh, it's it's Cain. And at first, Adam thinks it's uh, a fish Um, and (laughs) Eve won't let him just leave it in the water to see if it'll swim. Uh, So we watch them developing you know, a scientific mind on Adam's part, mm-hmm. mother maternal instincts on Eve's part. But he goes through, it's a wonderful evolutionary tale. Well, maybe it's a snake, maybe it's a kangaroo. A bear. It's a kind of a bear, <laughs> yep. exactly. But finally they figure out that these are just small versions of, of people. And then 10 years later, they are boys. We found it out long ago. It was their coming in that small, immature shape that puzzled us. We were not used to it. They are some, there are some girls now. Okay, so this is, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us where the girls come from, but, mm-hmm. but Mark Twain is saying they came somehow. Abel is a good boy, but if Cain had stayed a bear, it would have improved him. <laughs> After all these years, I see that I was mistaken about Eve in the beginning. It is better to live outside the garden with her than inside it without her. At first, I thought she talked too much, but now I should be sorry to have that voice fall silent and pass out of my life. Blessed be the chestnut that brought us together, brought us near together, and taught me to know the goodness of her heart and the sweetness of her spirit. Now, this is written in 1893. Uh, was that it? Ninety-three, mm-hmm. Jesse, mm-hmm. um, and Mark Twain's wife Olivia is still very much alive. When he wrote the last piece of it in 1904, when she died, um, it's after she had died, the last line of the whole of it. I mean, he keeps this part, but then she has her diary, and we mm-hmm. go. The very last part has Adam standing over Eve's grave. And he looks there and he says that now he understands, right? This is the last line of the whole series. Wherever, wheresoever she was, there was Eden. Mm. And I got to tell you, you probably hear it in my voice. I can. 
you know, and my wife and I just passed our 53rd anniversary. So uh, clearly uh, there's some stick-to-itiveness in the mm-hmm. Rapkin household. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read that years ago, that line so moved me that I misremembered it. I remembered it as, wheresoever she was, there was paradise. So what I want to say is you can, as you said, you can see the whole of this collection of things which work together as a single book. You can see it already in this very first Mm -hmm. one, the oldest, because although Livy hasn't died yet, Mark Twain is already talking about how wonderful that's the sweetness of her spirit that's the last line of this this thing so yes i understand how one can see this as a stand-up routine (laughs) it it covers a lot of topics for me most interestingly language and science Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think of it more like a stand-up lyric than Mm -hmm. a stand-up comic routine because Each of the parts shows us not only an individual observing, but an individual growing. Mm -hmm. Part of the humor comes from the misunderstanding that Adam has and the misunderstandings that Eve has. Adam is annoyed at Eve in the beginning, as you know, because um, she talks to him. And he's liked being alone. And he uses the word we. And he said, where did that come from? Oh, yeah, she used it. Mm -hmm. He'd never had to use the word we. And she goes around naming things. She names the dodo. And he says, why are you calling it a dodo? And she says, well, because it looks like a dodo. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, that means it answers nothing. But I have to ask. I do not know. Maybe you know. Did, did Mark Twain know Hebrew? I do not know the answer to that, but he was certainly a well-read man. He was a well-read man. Uh, indeed, his, some of uh, his translations from the German are still some of our standard translations. For example, in uh, Struvelpeter, um, Straw-Headed Peter. Uh, it's his translation we still use. The reason I ask is that Genesis, of course, is written in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And in Hebrew, the word devar means both a thing and a word. That is this this sort of inherent notion that people often have that you know what something is if you know its name mm-hmm. and lots of magic is based on Absolutely. that and if, if someone wakes you in the middle of the night and says who are you who are you you're not going to say i'm an x-year-old citizen of such as i mean you're going right. to say your name right that's right so that eve instantly understands things and adam has to think about them mm-hmm. says something really Fascinating about their initial relationship, which then grows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm talking. Uh, uh, do you think you want to give a little more sense of what's happening here? It's sure. Basically, uh, they meet and so on. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it's uh, it's a uh, it's 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 quite funny because we're seeing it all from Adam's point of view in this particular part of this sequence, um, the first part, um, and then of course we get it from Eve's point of view later on. But uh, <laughs> he really doesn't understand her. He doesn't understand a lot of what's going on. There's a, a, a lot of the humor is based on this misunderstanding. But uh, look, before I get to all that and the many very funny jokes that resonate all the way through right to the end, um, I want to tell you how I found this. So I I'd not read, I, I think I'd heard of it, uh, Extracts from Adam's Diary, and sounded, oh, that, that'll be good because it's Mark Twain. 
But actually, uh, I found uh, I hang out with a lot of scanners online, and one of them ha- always has a quote uh, at the beginning of every post. And the line that got me in this particular case was uh, from this book. I had to track it down and find out where it was. Uh, but the line was, I find that principles have no real force except when one is well-fed. and of course that is kind of uh exactly true right like it's very easy to uh have principles when you've got money in the bank (laughs) and you've got you know a nice suit of clothes on and you are you know life is all humming along for you but as soon as uh you know starvation comes to the land that dog that you look so fondly on as a pet (laughs) possibly is in a little bit of danger uh, because you're no longer well fed, uh, so I, I thought that that uh, when I found out that it was from this uh, extracts from Adam's diary, <laughs> I think it kind of acts as sort of a, a meta joke for the whole of the book. Right? There's this tree that you're not supposed to eat from, and they have lots of other things to eat from. But he stole from the tree of knowledge. She stole from the you know the snake convinced. Right? <laughs> There's a kind of meta joke there. But uh, absolutely, it is the story of, of uh, and it's told uh, day by day, it skips ahead, uh, but I love that the first day is Monday, because <laughs> <laughs> God's just been busy creating the world, um, Adam comes out of nowhere, he's had no childhood, unlike his children, who he eventually figures out that they're where they came from. Um, there's a lot that goes unsaid, you know, uh, what he's doing with Eve <laughs> to make these children did not aware of how that process works. Um, but uh, she says that she found them, <laughs> right. which is technically true, I suppose. Um, but she is, she is not exactly a liar, um, but she is a little bit deceptive. One of the things I really like about their relationship, and I just want to read that opening uh, extract from the diary um, is that he eventually comes to feel like he can't live without her, as you are rightly pointing out, but he starts quite differently. <laughs> Indeed. Monday. This new creature with the long hair is a great deal in the way. It's always hanging around and following me about I don't like this. I'm not used to company. <laughs> I wish it, it would stay with the other animals. Cloudy today. Wind in the east. Think we shall have rain. We? Where did I get that word? I remember now. The new creature uses it. <laughs> so already <Right>. he's <laughs> he's being shacked up together with this, this other creature. Um, he's used to it, he says, being alone. How long has he been alone? Not long, right? <laughs> And but then, it's been his whole life. <laughs> his whole life. He's, um, but uh, shortly thereafter, um, she, she, she gives a version to him of where she came from. He's, he says uh, that she. He says that she says that uh, she came from one of his ribs, and he's pretty sure that that's not true. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is funny because. Uh, yeah, that's not <laughs> this whole sort of questions the whole story. Um, but soon they're um, they're getting into all sorts of shenanigans, including um, she seems to have this mothering instinct even before she has uh, uh, things to mother. I, I really think this is why it feels so much like a stand-up routine, especially an old-fashioned one. 
you know, vaudeville was sort of in existence at, or things like vaudeville were sort of in existence at the time. But this is all written. This is not uh, him on stage. This is readable aloud, and people would enjoy it publicly, I'm sure. But it is a uh, a kind of standard thing to, you know, let me tell you about my wife. <laughs> take my wife, please. <laughs> right? Take as an example, and then take her away. Uh, so this is this is quite a choice line. This is from '98 of the, um, or a cho- quite a choice extract um, on '98 of the original. Saturday, she fell in the pond yesterday when she was looking at herself in it, uh, which she is always doing. She nearly strangled and said it was most uncomfortable. This made her sorry for the creatures which live in there, which she calls fish. <laughs> For she continues to fasten names onto things that don't need them and don't come when they are called by them, which is a matter of no consequence to her. She is such a fool anyways. Uh, so she got a lot of them out and brought them in and put them into my bed to keep warm. But I have noticed them now and then all day, and I don't see that they are any happier there than, <laughs> than where they were before. When night comes, I shall store them outdoors. I, do, uh, I will not sleep with them, for I found them clammy and unpleasant to lie among when a person hasn't anything on. <laughs> Later on, he will uh, put on some clothes. <laughs> the fact that she's taken these fish out of the pond, that uh, we don't know if they're dead or alive, but uh, theoretically they shouldn't be dead yet because death has not yet come to the park, a.k.a. Right. the Garden of Eden. Um, next next uh, extract is Sunday, pulled through. Then he skips a day. Tuesday, she has taken up with a snake now. <laughs> right. So she's like running around the property, the estate, he calls it, um, <laughs> doing all sorts of things, coming and reporting to him about how things are going to go. And then uh, there comes a kind of double story about how death comes to the park. And I think this is really wonderful. It's it's such a Mark Twain is he's just there's no word for it other than he's a genius. So he he says you know the they eat of the apple of the tree, um, but then later on she says it wasn't the apple that brought death to the land, rather it was the chestnut, and he says I didn't eat a chestnut, and she says no, but a chestnut isn't just a fruit; it's also a moldy old joke, <laughs> which right. of course is a another definition of that old chestnut, right? Um, and then he recalls that he did make a joke, which I think is pretty good about a very Adam, uh, sorry, very Mark Twain about uh, how wonderful it would be. <laughs> Here it is. Um, so this is. I'll just read this whole section. Ten days later. She accuses me of being the cause of our disaster. She, uh, this is the this me, coming to the I, land. I, yes. Let me, let me stop you for a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Jesse. This actually is a passage that, that I, I think we should talk about. I think it's a great passage. It is. I want, to, I want to set a little something a little differently from the way you did. They don't eat the apple. He's out among the animals and suddenly sees them beginning to fight. Mm-hmm. And kill each other. So he knows that she has eaten the apple. When they get back together, 
because he no he can't just find food anymore because the world is in turmoil when he they can't find food anymore she offers him an apple and it's at that point that he says you can have principles if you're well fed mm-hmm. uh, only have principles if you're well fed so they didn't eat the apple together right it wasn't Eve ate it and said here you eat it and he said okay fine she ate it he saw the consequences he knew that this is what happened because death was now around and then she comes out and that becomes the disaster knowing this she is resisting the idea that it was her eating of the apple that brought anything Mm -hmm. to pass now it says she accuses me and there we go so Mm -hmm. take it away Yes, uh, so this it says, 10 days later, she accuses me of being the cause of our disaster. She says, with apparent sincerity and truth, that the serpent assured her that the forbidden fruit was not apples, it was chestnuts. I said I was innocent then, for I had not eaten any chestnuts. She said the serpent informed, uh, informed her that the chestnut was a figurative term, meaning an aged and moldy joke. I turned pale at that. For I have made many jokes to pass the weary time, and some of them could have been of that sort. Though I had honestly supposed that they were new when I made them. Of course, all the jokes are new because nobody's (laughs) joked before. She asked me if I had made one just at the time of the catastrophe. I was obliged to admit that I had made one to myself, though not allowed. It was this. I was thinking about the falls. And I said to myself, how wonderful it is to see that vast body of wonder, water, tumble down there. Then in an instant, a bright thought flashed into my head, and I let it fly, saying, it would be a, a deal more wonderful to see it tumble up there. And I was just about to kill myself with laughing at it when all nature broke loose in, a war, in war and death, and I had to flee for my life. There, she said, with triumph. That is just it. The serpent mentioned that very jest and called it the first chestnut and, and said it was, it was coval? Coeval. Uh, coeval. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's C-O-E-V-A-L, but it's pronounced coeval, which is uh, pretty It's happening at the same time. But also sounds like as equally as evil with creation. Oh, alas, I am indeed to blame. Would that I w- were not witty. Oh, would that I had never had that radiant thought. So this is actually, I think, a very, very important like joke in terms of the meta thing. We are here on Earth, not of our own choosing. I didn't choose to be born. Somebody put me here. Um, all the evil that happens in the world, the pain, all that difficulty... Um, one way of solving it, <laughs> in a certain sense, is to or manage it, is to joke joke about it. But Adam doesn't really have that excuse, uh, at least not until uh, he makes this first co co evil joke, right? <laughs> that uh, ends up killing, <laughs> right? This is a, a, a something they still use in in comedy. Uh, stand-up comedy when they talk about um you know whether they bombed the audience or they bombed on stage or whether they killed to kill the audience is makes them laugh so hard that they you know they're just like they, it's uncontrollable they killed that night on stage right 
So literally, he's taking this idea of this joke killing, and he uses it all the way to the end, where we get that line that moved you, you know, and it is moving, all the way to the end, he brings it back, and he says, I'll just dig that page out here, read it again, ten years later, they are boys, we found it out long ago, it was their coming in that small immature shape that fooled us, we were not used to it. There are some girls now. Abel is a good boy, but if Cain had stayed the bear, it would have improved him. After all these years, I see that I was mistaken about Eve in the beginning. It is better to live outside of the garden with her, with her, uh, sorry, it is better to live outside the garden with her than inside it without her. At first, I thought she talked too much, but now I should be sorry to have that voice fall and pass out of my life. Blessed be the chestnut that brought us together and taught me to know the goodness of her heart and the sweetness of her spirit. So the chestnut here is not necessarily his joke as much as their whole situation as well. But it's the it's both chestnuts in a certain sense. The creation of the world as kind of a, a joke on all its creatures and his bringing of death to the world which brought them closer together right after that scene that i earlier read um he he notices embarrassment on her face for the first time and he has her go out to the fields where all these animals have been held in check from killing each other and take of their skins and make clothing he is actually rewriting <laughs> the story of Genesis from the point of view of Adam, <laughs> not from a God's eye point of view. And it is, it's brilliant. The fact that it's also, you know, got all this, these jokes about the dodo and, <laughs> and uh, Niagara Falls, that is sort of incidental. Uh, I mean, it has to be set somewhere, but it's the whole earth. Dodos don't live in the... Uh, southern Ontario, you know, this is this is a uh, planet-wide. So he's got kangaroos in this story, right? So he, this joke is is planetary in scale, at least, if not universal. <laughs> it is. It's 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 marvelous. He says in the passage that you just read to us, uh, one before, I was just about to kill myself with laughing at mm-hmm. it at that old chestnut. So it, Twain understands the use of kill, and mm-hmm. Adam comes to understand one of the reasons I think of this as uh, as dramatic as, as more an expression of self-growing is that we see Adam again and again misunderstanding but absolutely willing to correct his view yep. when experience tells him something else and so the whole of this story is him correcting his view about Eve from not liking hearing her talk to knowing that he must always be able to hear her talk or lose all happiness. It comes from that first chestnut, which is at least his imagination. Language Mm -hmm. is crucial here. And the very first joke, that chestnut, is in fact just a play on language. What if I saw the water tumbling up? So what he says, when he says, you know, I thank that chestnut for having given me this, what he recognizes is that it's human imagination that has brought death into the world, but it's human imagination 
that has made the world so gorgeous that you would not want to trade it away, even to go back to that time before Eve, that time before childbirth, labor, and death. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, many people, Levi Strauss, for example, uh, in his famous uh, article about uh, the structure of the Oedipus myth in uh, structural anthropology, many people have argued that the story of the fall, of the paradise Eden and the fall, is the most potent myth controlling the, the, the our understanding of the world in Western culture. And it gets rewritten. Thomas Leach uh, argues that the story of the fall is structurally equivalent to the story of Oedipus. Um, here we have something that is fit within the reader's understanding of the story of Genesis. It tells a story that seems to poo-poo the religion, mm -hmm. and yet simultaneously it validates one way of looking at what that religious myth can tell us about the fundamental value of human existence. It's a jest. It's a joke. It's mm -hmm. a series of jokes, maybe even like a stand-up routine. But I think in the final analysis, it's a wry and loving way of retelling and reaffirming that myth. Because with a foundational myth, as with any really deep story, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.